0: Welcome to Conscious SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a process that unlocks the full power, passion, and unlimited potential of your team to live your strategic vision of the future. We want to thank our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, The Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, and Be Local. We're all focused on supporting this next generation of leaders. Welcome to the show. Today in the studio, we have a true serial entrepreneur, Mr. Adam Heiner. Adam, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: Some folks start one business, which is challenging enough, but Adam has been the founder of four successful companies. His latest ventures where he serves as CEO is with Pakcha, a gluten-free bread with plans of taking this on a national level. And he's also the co-founder of Bootscrap, which is an alcohol version of kombucha. He's been a restaurateur, many, many things. A lot of things around the food industry and a lot around sustainability. So Adam, I'm very excited to hear your story and thoughts on entrepreneurism, growing a business to scale, and sustainability for the people in the planet. But where I'd like to start is maybe tell us a little bit about you, like maybe give us like one or maybe even two defining moments in your life that's kind of gotten you where you are today. How did you end up here?
1: That's a tough one, but I'll try to pick out a couple interesting points. Um, I mean, one was when I first moved to San Diego, I started out in the mortgage industry. The collapse of the mortgage industry in 2007 was really where I pivoted and decided huh, I think maybe I'll do something else and ended up in the food business, started doing catering with EcoCaters. We started a company, uh, my partner and I, Nick Bruhn, um, catering in San Diego and, and LA. And I was already in love with organic food personally. And then to be able to, to kind of like make that my profession was just like a dream come true. Work and passion, tie the yeah, two together, right? Totally.
0: In an industry, it kind of collapses. What else can I do? Tie the two together. And all of a sudden life starts to happen.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Been through several different projects, very entrepreneurial. Maybe talk us a little bit about that. Like what what does entrepreneurism mean to you? Like what's your definition of that? Because I think different people have different views of what that looks like.
1: Yeah. um, You know, for me being an entrepreneur, one, it just means like being willing to give everything um, and lose everything potentially. You know, most of my businesses, I've put all of my savings into the business to get them started. And I've parlayed, you know, earnings from one business into another and put them all in. So for me, if I'm going to go out and ask other people to come and, you know, and work for me and take a risk and also invest their money in, in my company, I kind of feel like I also want to be all in and have my own skin in the game. And the other, for me being entrepreneur is kind of what we mentioned earlier is like really combining my passion with, with my work and, you know, not really having a clear designation between, okay, I work for eight hours and then I go do the things for fun, but rather like the things that I'm passionate about are the things I'm working on and it can flow and some weeks I might work 60 hours and some weeks I might work 30 hours and I don't count the hours and you know, it's, it's all part of my passion. It's and all
0: interconnected of, together. Yeah, totally. So, so what, are, what would you say the keys are? Cause uh, again, you've, you've mm-hmm. done this multiple times parlaying one to the next. Uh, what were what the keys to the success?
1: Having a vision for where you want to go with the business, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of people miss is just having like the fundamental sound financial plan for a business because you can have the passion and love something that you're doing, but if it doesn't make sense financially, it's never going to last. And for me, uh, something we might talk about in a little bit is having good business partners, people that you definitely know you can get through some tough times with, as well as people that you you know, share values with. I think that's really important. You know, just like raising a child together, you want to make sure you share the same values with, with your partner. Um, and same goes with the business. You really, that really helps because if you're aligned on the values, then, then the rest for me is easy.
0: You know? Yeah. So that, that's key. I did want to explore that a little bit. Like we had Johnny Gallagher in here from uh, coastal payroll mm-hmm. and he kind of told this funny story where, uh, his brother was in the business he had been in the business said i don't want to be in that business and his brother said hey you should get into this start your own gig and but his brother said i won't tell you or show you how to do it unless you get a partner and the idea was there was two different strengths there you know and to be i think it's one of the challenges you have as a business owner is you can't be a superstar in everything so hopefully, hopefully your partner's kind of bring you know some balance to it I think there's pros and cons. Obviously, we got partners. It's like a marriage. It's not always always kumbaya. When you think about partners, like what you know, you said values and that, or even how do you even make sure you're aligned to values? Like so how how do you go about ensuring just to get started, what a good partnership's gonna be look like in the long run? Because it's gonna get tough.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean I've always partnered so far. Historically I've partnered with my friends quite a bit and you know, friends and family. Um, and I know that can be tricky. A lot of people try to avoid it can partnering stories, with their right. friends and family. And <laughs> yeah, I think that goes awry when you don't have those shared values, or the shared vision, and you come to a tough point where everyone's stuck and you're not willing to compromise because you you have different values. But yeah, I think having those conversations early on, how do we see this business going? What are our values? Like how do we want to bring this business into the world? What do we stand for? What's our long-term goal? And just really getting aligned on that stuff before you just jump into business with someone. You know, for me, going into business with friends and family is a way of like, I already know those people and I know their values and I know what they stand for. And I know the friends of mine that I want to go in business with. And I know the ones that I probably don't want to go in business with and nothing.
0: Great, great friends. Yeah, but
1: <laughs> great friends, but we're probably not going to be good business partners. And so for me, going into business with friends, it makes that like, I already knew going into the business with those folks that we
0: would be aligned. So you can kind of, kind of ties back to that. be everything sort of integrated together, right? Yeah. Friends, right. family, we're business. all doing this together. It's fun. Yeah.
1: You know, Pacha, I started with really good friends of mine as well as my wife. I was a little hesitant in the beginning to be in business with, you know, my, my partner as well as, you know, my business partner, but it's been amazing. You know, just, I knew that she's the most capable and smartest person I know I knew she would be a great business partner. So I was like, why not like go into business and share our life together as well as our business.
0: Yeah. My wife's got some amazing skill sets and she actually runs a a nonprofit and it's growing and she's doing some amazing work and those skill sets she's got, that's kind of not my thing. I'm not an operator. So we actually would probably make a great team, but I can't imagine us working, working, (laughs) working together. We kind of work great in the uh, conversations at home about work, which is a major conversation in our house. But I don't know the two of us could actually uh, be on the same project together. <laughs> like, it'd be very interesting, I think. We'd have to grow up a little bit to make it's, that all work.
1: <laughs> it's like you don't need to go to therapy anymore. You just start a business together. Yeah, and
0: you'll figure out what's yeah, wrong yeah, really quick. Exactly. <laughs> have you reached this point in any of those? Because you're kind of a young guy, done multiple things. But some what I've seen sometimes with um, mm-hmm. partnerships like over a longer period of time, like, people started out with the same passion. They started out and the value was the same. We're growing the business. And then over time, similar to a marriage, you know, some person starts to kind of go to the left. The other person kind of starts to go to the right. You know, kind of a lifestyle. This one wants to grow it. And then you start to see some conflicts. Have you run into any of that at some point? And you've actually, looks like you kind of semi-departed other businesses to kind of start other things. So mm-hmm. maybe speak a little bit to the back end of partnerships and what that looks like.
1: Yeah, you know, for me, the thing that's made made it successful for me is one, always being committed to making it work like uh, above all else. So it's like, okay, if my interest is this, but making it work looks like this, then sometimes I forgo my personal interest to make sure that the partnership is working. That doesn't mean, you know, always being in favor of the other person and not me, because we're not against each other. We're for each other. You know, I have exited businesses and done that also amicably where Hey, I'm start like when I started Butchcraft, I left EcoCaters and I just found a way to make it work for my partner. I said like, I'm, I'm going to go do this thing and it looks like, you know, and I think you can be successful with this if I leave and then you can bring on investors and, and then you can grow the business with those it's people. It's going to be good if I leave, right? Yeah, like actually, <laughs> and actually did. Like when I left EcoCaters, EcoCaters did really well because they were able to raise capital with my equity that I left behind and, um, and it was great for the company. So that was a good friend of mine as well. And it's like, I'm going to preserve the friendship and the partnership above all else. And I also want the business to be successful. So if I was to try to have it only my way and leave the business and say, no, I want to sell my equity or something, then yeah, then it it might not have worked out. But
0: That's always the challenge, right? How do do I get my money out of this thing? Right. It's always kind of that tough point for most partners and these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little about the two businesses, like uh, maybe like the origin of them and uh, what what they're all about. So people kind of get a little bit of understanding of what you're up to and sure. go out and buy those products that you guys are making here in San Diego. Yeah, sure.
1: So Boochcraft is a hard kombucha. It's pretty much the first hard kombucha to really grow and create the category. We started here in San Diego down in Chula Vista. Our brewery is still down there. Um, 7% alcohol kombucha. So if you're familiar with kombucha, and if not, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit. It's a fermented tea it's got a lot of probiotics as long as it's kept raw and unpasteurized. It's got, you know, filled with probiotics and it's a health, it's a, it's a health beverage, pretty popular health beverage these days. Um, hard kombucha. We actually just make regular kombucha and then we ferment alcohol into the regular kombucha. To make it seven percent
0: alcohol. An obvious move. Yeah, right? <laughs> why wouldn't someone, someone else make that healthy stuff? Yeah, Yeah. So
1: <laughs> and I got my start with kombucha um at the restaurant local habit that we had in Hillcrest that I had in partnership with my the catering partner, Nick. Um, and I was making kombucha at home. And uh when we started the restaurant, I was like, hey, we need to have we should make kombucha on tap here. And then I started seeing people flock into the restaurant with the kombucha on tap and was like, wow, this could be something big sold the restaurant. kind of forgot about the idea for a while. And then, uh, my partner, Todd was looking for business ideas and I just pitched him the kombucha idea. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Got my brother-in-law, Andrew involved. He was like a master brewer, brewing beer and <laughs> cider and everything at home. Just like he had like a professional homebrew setup. He came in and was like, Hey, if we're going to have 1% alcohol kombucha, we might as well have 7% alcohol kombucha. So he started cranking the alcohol up. And one thing led to another. And, you know, now we've created a huge category. There's probably a hundred you know, 50 to a hundred hard kombuchas all over the country and, and it's doing really well. So that's been quite the journey. I've learned a ton in that business. I wore almost every single hat that you could wear growing the business and um, eventually kind of hired myself out of a lot of those roles, decided I wanted to return back to my passion of uh, food so started Pacha, which is an organic gluten-free bread company. And it's different than most gluten-free breads. It uh, starts with a base of buckwheat. So we uh, soak and sprout the buckwheat to unlock all the health benefits and the nutrients. And then we rinse it and blend it together with water and salt for the base recipe. So the, the base buckwheat bread is just buckwheat and salt. That's the, the only ingredients. It's a fermented, naturally fermented sourdough. And then we add other spices and herbs for some of the other flavors and ferment overnight and bake it. And you get this really flavorful, um, hearty uh, buckwheat sourdough bread.
0: So you're a bit of a mad scientist on the side here. It sounds like you got to yeah. <laughs> get the whole I, chemistry lab. You got to go, go in here. I love <laughs> fermentation. So anything to do with fermentation. <laughs> your fermentation, that's your thing. Yeah, huh? that's my thing. Well, sure. I'll share that <laughs> the, uh, I've had some bootstrap. I was at the Be Local event uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you guys had uh, were offering some drinks. So I had a chance oh, cool. to have some of your product. It was fantastic. Nice. So one of the things, I was at uh, the Be Local event, which is uh, really for CEOs of B Corporations and you guys are part of with Bootscraft. And I, I think you're thinking about doing that with the other business as well. Maybe talk a little bit about what that is and why, why you did that, why that was important.
1: You know, one, and when we started Bootscraft early on, I was aware of the B Corporation and the certification and was something that was always like, I'd love to get there someday. Um, some of my favorite companies, Dr. Bronner's and Patagonia are, you know, some of the highest ranking B Corps out there. So, yeah, for us, you know, impact has always been ingrained in the DNA at Butchcraft. Todd, Andrew, and I were always about giving back and taking care of our people and um, our impact strategy, you know, working with farms, um, donating to nonprofits that support regenerative agriculture. Those are core elements of the business. So the B Corp, we were already doing a lot of the practices. And when we started out in the journey of becoming certified, you know, one, it was, I think, for me... It's to hold ourselves accountable so that we're saying, hey, we're saying we're going to do X, Y, and Z. So let's make that official. Let's put it on the package. Let's get certified. And that way it's ingrained even deeper into the DNA and it holds us accountable.
0: Can't get sloppy about yeah. that,
1: right? and it also gives us new ideas of ways to mm-hmm. have a deeper impact because going even just going through the questionnaire and the certification, there was a lot of things that came up that we had never thought about. Like, oh, okay, yeah, we totally could do that or we could add that policy or... You know, we ended up implementing a 401k with benefits. Um, we added vacation days as part of the B Corp certification. We started buying energy credits and made our our facility a net zero energy facility. Oh, wow. And we're in the process of, um, we're actually just adding solar panels to the facility right now. And that's all kind of come about through the process of getting certified as a B Corp. Um, a lot of good has come through the process and- so to go back to my original piece. It's one holding ourselves accountable, and two being able to really showcase to the consumer what we're all about. There's a lot of companies out there that are greenwashing these days and saying we do X, Y, and Z, but they're not actually doing X, Y, and Z. And you can't do that when you're certified B Corp. Like it's a pretty rigorous certification. So.
0: And you have to continue to raise the buyer too. I mean, yeah. If you come back for a recertification. It's not totally. just like, uh, are you still doing what you're doing? No. Yeah, What are you doing better? Yeah, the standards right.
1: so are getting more rigorous. So yeah. you, if you keep doing what you're doing as a B Corp, you're not going to be a B Corp in three years.
0: A little, little interesting side story here. Uh, Katura, mm-hmm. who uh, works with me, had an issue at her home. So she was making an insurance claim. And she was commenting to me that she said, well, it turns out I was actually changing insurance companies. The claim's kind of against the old insurance companies. So I'm moving on the under the new one. So kind of figured, I guess that all works out. Well, in the process of going through the claim, she finds out they were a B Corp. And she goes, Jeff, if I knew they were a B Corp, I probably wouldn't have changed. And part of it was she was driven by price. Yeah. Uh, she moved, you know, getting a little bit cheaper price. Yeah. Now knowing what a B Corp is through the podcast and listening from folks like yourself, she's like, oh, yeah, I would have paid that premium to stay in there. Just like an insurance company, a B Corp, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like a weird mix. Yes, people start understanding what that is, and uh, it's a huge thing, but difficult to do. A big yeah. call, big call from the owner because it's really uh, it, it costs some money. It's not it's not free, but hopefully, like with Couture, it comes back around.
1: Yeah, and especially with a manufacturing business. You know, if a service business, you don't have all the supply chain stuff. Right. So you don't have all the raw materials that you're bringing in and everything. With manufacturing, there's a lot more involved with that piece of the Because I really want to look puzzle. at every
0: part of that food Yeah,
1: chain. you, you want to be looking at all your manufacturers. Are they doing X, Y, and Z? Where are they getting their stuff from? How are they treating their people? Kind of like diving deep into the supply chain is a big part of it.
0: We had uh, Dr. Bronner in here and we were talking to them about that. And their whole food, you know, the whole supply chain and what they do. In some of these countries and the support and how long it takes There's a five-year commitment and these yeah. kinds of things. So, but it's good stuff. I mean, that's what we need. I mean, we're hopeful yeah. that we can use the influence of business to actually change our world versus what we tend to do with it. One other question here, time management. So you say like everything's kind of integrated together and as I was doing some research on you're also kind of really into yoga, particular type of yoga from teaching to putting on events, all those kinds of good, that sounds like a job in itself. A maybe describe that a little bit while you do that because I think that's really interesting because uh, I've seen it on the beach and I just thought people were showing off I didn't yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it's actually a, a particular type of yoga and then two is like how do you manage all this I mean how do you how do you keep you know all these balls up in the air and uh, make it all happen and have time to come to a podcast like this so two questions in yeah. one to so a,
1: so you're talking about acro yoga yes um, or acro partner acrobatics that's a passion of mine it's something that I got into. Back in 2013, it's a partner-based practice. Uh, we call it acro yoga. It, that name came about because I think people were trying to make partner acrobatics more approachable for people. So, using the word yoga made them like, "Oh, that familiar. I know yoga." And there's some yoga poses that you can do while being held in the air and stuff like that. But really, it's ultimately it's partner acrobatics. You're similar to what you see in the Cirque du Soleil, where people are balancing each other on top of their hands or their feet. And it's an incredible practice for physical practice, but also for communication and, you know, being able to work with someone and understand like meeting this person where they're at, you know, just like the physical, the emotional and all of that. It's all combined into this practice. And I love it for that reason. The community is really strong. I mean, you have to be a strong community to be trusting each other with like with your lives. Yeah, right? so it's, so it's, it's a really strong community. There's people all over the world that do, do the practice and, Um, Like you said, I put on a big festival up in Oregon every year called Acro Love Festival, and it's really a passion of mine. I mean, I've also seemed to always make my passions my work, so I started a business out of it, but um, it it really is my passion.
0: So a lot of us have hobbies and passions, and we just leave them at that. You actually got this business mindset (laughs) back to being an entrepreneur. Wait a minute. This could be a job. We could make some money doing this. Yeah, You know, I guess we have a different view of that, right? Because quite honestly, I've seen people at the beach. I live in PB, and uh, I I just thought... really? What are, they, what are they doing over there? But then you start to think about what that really means. Cause I kind of look at it like, looks cool. looks really hard. And yeah. it looks like you gotta be really strong, but I'm sure a lot of it just has how you do it or whatever, but back to the communication and the yep. trust and all that. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the people at the beach, maybe they are showing off a little bit or, you know, it's like, it's a kind of got a performance element to it, obviously. Right. So people are doing things that they're doing it for themselves, but also it does have a performance element and But, you know, most people start with more beginner skills laying on the ground. I teach a beginner class at Trilogy Sanctuary down in La Jolla. And there's stuff that, you know, literally anyone can do if with no experience. So just like any other sport, you see someone doing something really difficult, but they started with just doing the basics. We all start somewhere, right? Yeah, totally.
0: So back to the time management things. You got all these things going on. You got Mm -hmm. festivals, multiple companies. How how do you make all that happen? Give Mm -hmm. us the tips and the tricks.
1: Well, one is bringing in good people and then trusting them to do their job and not micromanaging. And, um, you know, I wear a lot of hats at Pacha because it's a newer company and I'm still, we don't have an admin person. I do all the admin work and all the finance stuff. And, you know, my wife does the marketing. So we're all wearing a lot of hats though. Um, but at Bootscraft we've got 75 employees and, uh, my partner Todd runs the company. He's the CEO. And I really just focus on the impact strategy, the B Corp certification, um, so I've withdrawn myself mostly from the day to day at Boochcraft because I'm doing, you know, the day to day stuff at Pacha. I also have a six month old baby that Uh-oh. just came. <laughs> I'll give you so a right there. Really, another full time job. Yeah, so that really has made me think about being efficient with my time, and really focusing on the things that need to get done, and not wasting my time with the things that don't need to get done. I don't watch TV. I don't scroll through social media rarely ever. You know, I'm not a social media scroller. I used to be, and I decided it just wasn't doing that anymore. Yeah. So I've kind of, as responsibilities come on and important things in my life, I shut away the things that aren't important. I haven't been surfing as much, which I'd like to get back in the water more often. But for me, it's like all the most important things rise to the top. And then the things that are less important. And that includes the day-to-day stuff in the company where I'm like, Oh, I haven't done that yet, but it obviously isn't that important because I've gone for two months. And it's still on my to-do list. So
0: it's six months. We just If I go to six months, to I just erase <laughs> it. Yeah.
1: So it's just about doing the most important stuff and keeping time for myself for my personal, you know, I like to play music and guitar and spend time with my, my baby and my wife and community. And I'm a chef as well. So I like to cook dinners for the community and, Yeah. Just making time for that stuff. And
0: is there a little method to that madness? I mean, do you Mm do a, uh, in the morning stop and go, all right, you know, (laughs) what's, what's the hot thing on the list today? Or I mean, is there a process to help kind of sort through that to make sure you're Mm -hmm. truly getting the the top things done or.
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, first of all, in the morning, I almost always reserve the early morning for not work. So right now with the new baby, I wake up, I take our baby Amina out of the bed and my wife gets to sleep a little bit longer and I get some time with Amina and normally I mix in some of my own practices with Amina. So I'll just sit her down and she'll be playing and I'll do some meditation and maybe I'll pick up the guitar and I'll practice a little guitar while I'm watching her and hang out with her a little bit and then she starts fussing. I bring her back into mom and then I start doing my start working, you know, I have a to-do list and I've gone through so many different iterations of that. For me it seems just the easiest thing is just to have it a list on my phone, but the lists are categorized and I typically move the most important things to the top of the list. And I work from top down trying not to spend all day, just like trying to get through my email because it can be never endings. I like that is a big uh, sinkhole,
0: right? Yeah. Just, well, there's gotta be something over here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So
1: I like to start with the to do list and think like, okay, there's probably one or two things on here that needs to get done before I start doing email. And so I like to bust out a couple big to do's, Early on, and get those done, and then maybe check my email, and then kind of let the day flow from there.
0: Awesome. What's your sweet spot? You decided to start another business. Now it's like you got to wear many hats versus the other business, but a few employees. It starts to become sort of uh, here's my role. Where, where's your sweet spot? I mean, do you prefer in the real early stage of the company when things are just getting going and scrambling and doing lots of things, or do you like a little later because you take companies to scale? Where, where's where's Adam's sweet spot in all this? Mm.
1: I really do like the early stage, but it's also really stressful. You know, the early stage is like, you don't have any money or there's never enough money. You're wearing all the hats. There's, so I think as I'm getting older now, I'm the less, age factor. yeah, I don't know that I'm going to start any more businesses, um, after this one, but I do like kind of the middle phase where, you know, you've gotten the, the company started, you've gotten through the scary part of like, is this going to work? You, maybe you've got some funding and you're actually able to execute on the vision and the plans. And like with bootcraft, you know, once we got to the point where we actually had some buying power and we could actually go to the farms and talk to them about their farming practices and same with Pacha right now, we're getting to that point. We just um, landed a deal with whole foods global. So we're going into every whole foods in the country. In, Congratulations. In That's awesome. Now we're able to go to buckwheat farmers and say, which is 99% of our supply chain is buckwheat and say, Hey, we're going to buy, you know, a truckload of buckwheat every month, like what can we do here? And we're working on getting certified regenerative at Pacha. And that's not really it's it's a lot harder to do that when you're smaller and you're buying right, you know, it's hard
0: to get anybody's attention a
1: hundred pounds or even a thousand pounds or five thousand pounds. They're just like, okay, cool. Like just order it through that distributor. Like I'm not selling you five thousand pounds. You really have to get to a certain scale to be able to have those conversations and go direct to the supply, which I really love. Having that direct relationship with the farmers. And having enough support people where I feel like I'm able to focus on the important things and everyone kind of, there's people in different roles where I'm not doing everything. That initial phase is is exciting, but it can wear you scramble. down. yeah, yeah it scramble. can wear you down. So I'm feeling excited to get into the that kind of second phase with Pacha now. Nice, yeah. it
0: sounds like you're getting close. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about food, the world, health, sustainability. I mean, this is the place you guys play. Where are we? What's going on from your seat in the world? Uh, maybe give us a little education. What, what, what should you know? The average consumer. What, what should we be thinking about?
1: Man, <laughs> the big, I don't know if the average consumer get, wants to hear all this, but uh, well, I'll, I'll, if you, if
0: you got to scare us, Adam, scare us. I mean, yeah, part I'll, part of our thing here is as businesses, how do we yeah. elevate? How do we go to yeah. the next level here and get yeah. get the consumers engaged in the program as well. I, if you need I,
1: to. I mean, I can share from my personal viewpoint. I don't want to put anything on anyone else. I think everyone has to choose their own path. But personally, I think we have a lot of junk out there that's being sold. There's just a lot of junk being sold in the stores, um, not just in the food, but just everywhere. You know, you look at little kids' toys and all the crap that people are buying for, you know, little plastic toys. that just become trash a week or a month later. Um, and same thing in the food aisle. There's a lot of food in plastic packaging. There's a ton of stuff in single use packaging, and a lot of it's made with plastic, and that's none of that stuff's getting recycled. I think one of my big focuses right now is on packaging, which is why we've got a hundred percent compostable packaging over Apacha and everything's you know one hundred percent recyclable at bootcraft with aluminum because that stuff's not getting recycled the plastic. it's either getting it's either ending up in the landfill and then becoming microplastics and in our waterways or it's getting sent to third world countries and getting burned there's some documentaries out. The, the story of plastic is a great documentary. If you want to understand what's happening with our plastic around the world, it talks about some statistics. And one of which is only 8% of plastic is actually being recycled. And only 2% of that is being recycled into something that could be recycled again. Mm. So ultimately 98% of our plastic is ending up back in the landfill or being burned. And we have a lot of plastic. We have a lot of plastic. And, you know, in, in the U S countries are starting to not want to take our plastic anymore. We were shipping it to China and they won't take it anymore. And we were shipping it to India and they won't take it anymore. And now we're trying to find little third world countries that'll take it. You know, at some point we need to deal with our own mess. And then the other piece for me, the the biggest piece in my life right now, and the things I'm thinking about is about agriculture and how we're growing our food. A lot of people have probably heard the term regenerative agriculture. It's a It's becoming more popular. Another great film. I like to point people towards films because then they can really like understand. Uh, It's called kiss the ground. And it talks all about what is regenerative agriculture kind of, how do we get to the mess that we're in right now? And how are we going to get out of it? And the answer the solution is regenerative agriculture. And what's happening is um, with conventional agriculture, with big commercial agriculture mechanized, we're using a lot of chemicals and chemical fertilizer and pesticides that stuff is ending up in our groundwater and our soil. And it's also destroying our soil. Um, it's desertifying the soil. So every time you plow the fields, you release carbon in the atmosphere. Every time you dump chemical fertilizer on the soil, you kill all the microbes and the, and the bugs in there. And slowly our topsoil is eroding and, and disappearing. And they say in about 30 years, we won't be able to grow food in a lot of our soil anymore. And the solution is to build the soil, the topsoil back, and that's with regenerative agriculture. So basically what we wanna do is remove all the inputs, the chemical inputs, the fertilizer and the pesticides. We wanna make compost on site at farms using manure. You know, Right now our animals and our farms, our vegetable farms are separated and we've got animals in these feedlots and we've got vegetable, these huge monoculture vegetable. If we can bring those back together, and create farms that have animals on the farm that don't have too many animals but they have some they graze the fields and they help keep the fields down in between plantings they provide manure for the farm to you know to fertilize their plants and then we grow topsoil and we stop tilling so you know when you harvest something you leave the roots in the ground and it protects all the mycorrhizae and the organisms down there and you start building soil health and then when it rains your farm actually absorbs the water instead of running off and creating, you know, flooding and erosion and,
0: and eventually they have to come back and irrigate. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't have to irrigate
1: as much. And so, and then it draws carbon. It, the, the other benefit is it draws carbon down out of the atmosphere, you know, moving towards, and, and as a consumer, you know, that you might be thinking like, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm not a farmer, but as a consumer, you know, for both of these issues, we can stop buying products that are packaged in plastic um, or can communicate to the products that you love and say, hey, I think there's probably a compostable option for this packaging that you're making or, or a paper option. Have you ever thought about that? And if more consumers were hit, talking to those products. And then on the on the farming side, same thing is supporting products that are using regeneratively grown food. Organic is just not enough anymore. Certified organic doesn't mean what it used to mean a while back. It's been co-opted by the large scale um, farms and companies. And so certified organic can, it is good if you're doing like what the original organic practices were, but the large scale organic is still destroying the topsoil. Um, there's some new certifications that are regenerative organic certified. They're just coming out. They're kind of in their infancy. Regenerative Organic Alliance is one. Soil Carbon Initiative is another. Regenerified is another one. They're actually, you know, certifying products as well as farms for regenerative agriculture. And so just like, really understanding where your food's coming from, looking at the ingredients. I always tell people, if you don't understand half the ingredients, if you don't even understand one of the ingredients, you probably shouldn't buy the product. Right, right, And if there's like more than 20 ingredients, more than 10, even like that's questionable. Like, you know, look at the ingredients, make sure you understand them and then try to understand where they're coming from. Like look on the company's website, see if they talk about where they get their products from and their ingredients. And, You know, sourcing is important and have that conversation with those companies about, you know, wanting to see them use regenerative certified or ingredients.
0: How how do we deal? I mean, this, you know, this is a podcast for business leaders and the challenges is right. I mean, capitalism and bottom line and profit and all those kinds of good stuff. I think one of the big issues, again, large corporates actually making our food. I mean, I have no idea how many companies, but probably not that many are in charge of probably 90 percent of what people consume. How do we move those folks? I mean, yeah. cause they, they would have the biggest impact if they started to the go. The big ones. Yeah.
1: You know, they are coming around because of the, there's profit in it. So like general mills, for instance, is their new slogan. It's like G is for good. And they've bought a lot of brands that are regenerative brands like Annie's Epic bar, and brands like that, that they've brought into their umbrella because they, they see that the market is moving in that direction.
0: Right. So consumers are asking.
1: Consumers are asking for it. So, you know, it doesn't mean that they've stopped doing the stuff with their other, you know, the Cheerios and everything, but they are also hedging their bets and bringing in these companies because it's profitable. And because in the long run, they, I think they do see that they do rely on food to be grown. And if we can't grow food anymore, they don't have a business, they're not going to have a business. So, I think as that starts to become more apparent that that really is a real threat, you know, more companies like General Mills and the big ones are going to move more and more and like eventually, just like the electric cars, a lot of, you know, GM's going to have an all-electric fleet by 2030. Eventually, General Mills is just going to say, okay, enough's enough. Like, we're going, everything's going to be regenerative by a certain time because we have to do it. Right. The the packaging side, I don't know what it's going to take for everyone to say like, okay, we got to stop using plastic. I think it's going to... take like everyone, the rest of the world saying, we're not taking your plastic anymore.
0: It's all, it's all in the backyard. (laughs) Yeah. It's, if we have to
1: see the the mess that we're making, then we're gonna, we're gonna have to deal with it. It's
0: funny how we don't see these things, right? Living here. We just, I mean, once you see the picture and the water and polluted and it's like, but somehow we're able to keep that off our preview, right? We're finding other things to look at and not really noticing that that's really a, Huge, huge problem for us.
1: Yeah, I think, like, also, as a consumer, like, when I go to the grocery store, I mostly just shop in the produce and the bulk section and then a couple things. Like, you know, I've got to go get my pasteurized organic milk over here and a couple things in the packages, but I don't, like, go down all the package aisles, you know? And I shop at the co-op here in, in Ocean Beach, um, OB People's Co-op. And then if I go to a regular grocery store these days, I'm, like, it's overwhelming. I'm, like, oh, my gosh. I didn't know there was, like— there's like 50 laundry detergents and right, right.
0: There been versions a thousand of
1: cereals and all that. And you go to the co-op and there's just like, you know, there's a couple organic of this thing and a couple organic of that thing. And I think we just have too many packaged products. So if the consumers stopped spending so much time in that part of the aisle and just like go to the produce, the bulk, you know, get your dairy and milk and stuff and just avoid that middle, of the grocery store section, we are just like
0: no, we, no, no to the audience. Yeah. Yeah, stay, in the I, middle of the store. You know,
1: both of my business are packaged products, but I think that we could just do with a lot less packaged products.
0: I've, I've said this before on the show. I'm, I'm in charge of taking the trash out. It's just my wife and I and the yeah. dog, and I'm blown away by how much trash we produce on a weekly basis. It's just, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's a good indicator. You know, it's like as a family, it's like, hey, do you think we could reduce our trash? Because you can use that as a metric, you know, like right. how often do we have to take our trash out? That's we a good indicator. We need three big trash cans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's exactly. something wrong here,
0: right? Yeah. Well, I just always blown away uh, with the Amazon packaging that shows that my wife has a lot of stuff come to our house rather than the, yeah. where she works. And, you get a box that's a five by five or something. And inside is like a little you know, one by one package in there yeah. with some bubble wraps. Like yeah. really? We couldn't figure out a better way of doing this. It just seems like it would be a cost savings.
1: Yeah. Amazon's tough to avoid. I mean, our house is addicted. I have to admit our household is addicted to Amazon and I would prefer not to shop at Amazon, but it's like the alternative is like for some of the stuff is like go to target or wherever. And then it's probably still coming in plastic packaging right. and everything. When it gets shipped to target, you know, I'm not sure how much better it is, but.
0: <laughs> well, the other problem you have is, is like you go to the Target and they don't have it. They don't have it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I did a whole exercise once where I was trying to be a good citizen. Yeah. I was trying to buy some electronic thing. I go to Best Buy and they had, but you had to buy five other things with it. And I don't, I don't want five other things. I just want that I just one thing. just need that
1: little piece. So yeah. I actually
0: get on my phone. I find somewhere, a specialty shop. And he's, oh yeah, yeah, we got this. I drive across town in the rush hour traffic, get there and they go, what? I was talking to the wrong guy. Goes no, no, we got it. And he brings out these gold plated versions. I'm, I need two of these things. I'm not gonna spend fifty bucks on this thing. And then have to go home, get online. I I order from Amazon. It's convenient. Yeah, so I spent two hours chasing around. And and I wish they could just get
1: rid of like all the blue plastic ones. It's like, can't we just have the paper padded one? Like, just get rid of the blue plastic ones. We don't need those. You obviously some companies use the paper padded ones. So. Let's just use all paper padded stuff. At okay. Pacha, we ship our bread. So we got the box and then we found this really cool insulate because we ship it out frozen. And the insulation is just 100% recycled paper based. It's just paper. It's really insulating. And you can either recycle it or you could compost it because paper makes for great compost.
0: There's solutions out there. But yeah. at well, the end of the day, it's solutions. about the consumer. consumer will drive what the, what the businesses do. Yeah. Yeah. Well we're kind of wrapping things up here. I always like to ask one big final question. What's the big idea? So we're talking about entrepreneurialism, we're talking about uh, B Corps, we're talking about sustainability. What's, what's, the, what's the big thought? What would you like the audience to remember? If they didn't remember anything else, this, this is my, my takeaway.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I think, um, well, one is just know where your stuff comes from and know where it goes pay attention to the source of where the things that you're consuming, that you're bringing into your household comes from, understand how it was made, how it got to you and what it went through to get there. And then understand where it ends up at the end of its life. And I think if we did that, if we all did that, we might not buy some of the stuff that we're buying. We might buy a little bit less stuff, which would give us a little bit more money for leisure or for savings. And then we might think about taking care of our stuff a little bit more and then not have so much stuff going in the trash. So I think for me, that sums everything up.
0: Pay attention to the life cycle.
1: Yeah. Beginning to the yeah. end. Beginning to end. And try to have as many things end in a way that they get to go back around and begin right. again. You know? Make a circle.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't start here and end there. No, yeah. it comes back in a big circle. Yeah. I if like everything that. everything
1: you buy can end up in the compost and then the ground and then turn into plants again,
0: that's- the Then way. we got it right. Now yeah. we've nailed it. Well, Adam, I want to thank you for t- taking the time to come to the show here today and- sharing your amazing experiences and insights and give me some thoughts about, you know, what we should be thinking about when it comes to food. And I like that idea the, the full circle. Let's, let's be living in a full circle here. Well, that's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe and comment. And most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the better business bureau, conscious capitalism, and be local. who are all using the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, until next time, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, or we're all counting on you.